0: You can't keep that.
1: Why not? Watch me. Hello and welcome to the Sound of History Podcast. My name is Nick.
0: My name is Mika.
1: (laughs) This is a music history podcast where I'm teaching Mika all about music history. We're talking about psychedelic rock today. It's going to be interesting. It was like the hardest episode I've ever written. Why? Why? It's just, it's so, it's hard to, like, define this genre. It's hard to have a steady history of this genre. It's just, as you might expect, with the amount of, like, psychedelic drugs happening, people are a little unreliable. It's a difficult one. But first, Mika is the host now.
0: Mika is the host now. What's up, guys? How you doing? It's me. I read a book today, and that is very rare. I cannot read very good. I can. That's a lie. I can actually read really well, but I just don't. But I read a book today, and it's called Lions of Fifth Ave, I think. I'm actually not sure. There it is. Yeah, the Lions of Fifth Avenue. And I read it because my two best friends are doing a book podcast that we've mentioned and it made me read a book. And it's a great book that they picked. It was really engaging. And now I finished it before they did. So um, I'm really proud of that. At least you I don't be. think they've finished it yet. I don't think so. Because they are like, you know, pacing themselves.
1: Like a book club.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I've never been very good at book clubs, so I just read the book and then I'm going to listen to them talk about it and then try not to spoil things when I respond. But yeah, it's great. It's really, really cool. I'm glad that I read a book. Thank you, friends. Is that all? Um, yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: Mika no longer the host now?
0: Mika no longer the host now.
1: All right. Well, it's... It's good to have Mika back. We had Jacob on our last episode that we put out.
0: Yeah, it was awesome.
1: It's a new Sound of Conspiracies thing that we're trying. We're hoping to record another one this week, oh, maybe. Fine. So
0: Well, I work on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday.
1: Okay. So hopefully, we'll have another Sound of Conspiracies episode coming soon. Follow us on Twitter so you can know when that's dropping. Listen to the other one if you haven't. I think it's a ton of fun. I like it. It's pretty wild.
0: Yeah. It made me really excited. It was just cool. I was like, this is really hilarious and and weird. Jacob's great.
1: Jacob's a fun co-host. So, I mean, he's no you, but.
0: That's a good thing, probably. (laughs) Ooh, my nail popped off. Good.
1: All right. So, I'm assuming you have no idea what we've been talking about recently.
0: No. Mm -mm.
1: I mean, I barely even remember, honestly. Uh, We were talking about, like. Uh, Aretha Franklin, I think, was our last one.
0: Really? I haven't recorded with you in that long.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Holy cow. Because we
1: did funk and then James Brown and then I think we did an Aretha Franklin one. And now we're kind of switching gears from that into a little bit more like rock music because we were kind of going the R&B, funk, Uh, soul route.
0: So we're going back. We've talked in the past.
1: I, I just know whenever I start reading the script, you're going to start singing again.
0: I'm not. I that's genuinely the joke you do not, it in
1: like once an episode. I'm actu-
0: <laughs> hey, I'm not that predictable. Okay. I'm not going <laughs> to.
1: So we've talked in the past about different stages of rock. We talked about like the golden age in the 50s with Chuck Berry and Little Richard and Elvis. I liked that. Yeah, it was a fun time. Then we kind of talked about the British Invasion, which was kind of the next wave of rock that also came through. Also liked that. With the Beatles and the Rolling Stones.
0: After, the, like, watching... What is it?
1: It's uh, it's just the Beatles documentary that's on yeah. Disney+. Plus. It has What's a name. I forgot it.
0: Okay. Well, like, watching that first little bit, it was like, oh, man. I forget every yeah. single time how much I like their early stuff. Yeah. It's... 100% my vibe. Yeah,
1: well that British Invasion kind of took the traditional golden age of rock sound and just like expanded on it. And this that we're talking about today is basically the next great evolution of rock music. It's kind of what gave birth to a lot of the sub-genres that came after it. Like punk and metal and all that kind of stuff was kind of birthed out of psychedelic rock. Interesting. So what? how would you describe... Psychedelic rock. Not really knowing anything about it.
0: I'm the walrus. cuckoo ca
1: I'm the walrus is the Beatles. I know. Oh. I don't know what cuckoo kachoo is.
0: That's the line.
1: Is it? I don't know that song Yeah. Right.
0: I don't know. If I think psychedelic, that's what I think of.
1: Okay. I mean, that's That's probably... really about it. That's, I, mean, I that's also about, right. think about the of...
0: inside of Mellow Mushroom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's very fair. I mean, it is psychedelic rock, so it's a lot of psychedelic drugs, and that is kind of the basis of it. So psychedelic rock started in the mid-60s and was commonly thought of as like a fleeting fad. No one expected it to stick around, even back when it was happening. In fact, some people thought that this fad burned out by 1968, but that isn't entirely true. The impact that this type of rock had on music was immense and is still being felt today. Psychedelic rock was born out of the hippie movement of the 60s, which came from the West Coast. It was inspired by mind-expanding drugs like marijuana and LSD, which were incredibly popular in the hippie movement community. Which, you know, you know all all about LSD, right?
0: I'm really great about drugs. (laughs) I have people that I talk about drugs with all the time.
1: I mean, not like... Is it just other nurses? I'm talking about prescription. Nurses drugs? Do drugs. Nurses do
0: drugs. Nurses do drugs. I, I actually d- I do not Yeah. Yeah. I think but that comes we across. did we did list hey <laughs> what you That's who not are you not a bad thing. <laughs> I'm cool. I'm cool. I could be on euphoria. I'm cool.
1: You've not even seen euphoria.
0: I'm cool. <laughs> D- of course I've seen it. Everyone's seen it. You now the only people it. who have it are still watching it just starting out now are the people who are behind and I'm way ahead.
1: Well, then I'm very behind because I have not seen it and I have no interest in watching it.
0: We listened to that one. Um, we listened to that one podcast about LSD. Mm-hmm. From Yeah. So I one. know about that. That yeah. was wild. The dollop L S D episode is all trip. It's about like the
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's about like the I don't know, the priest of LSD or whatever they called him, like the main guy who popularized the use. The Pope. Sure. Anyway.
0: That's a great title. (laughs) (laughs) Pope of LSD. (laughs) Why is that so funny to me?
1: (laughs) So the effects that these drugs started to have on music was that it brought in new recording techniques. And kind of like effects and like reverb and weird stuff like that. Like just kind of playing around with the technology that was expanding in this time period. Like eight tracks were a thing for the first time and able to record on different tracks and able to add effects and just a whole whole new world. And then like you add LSD into the mix and people are like, what can I do with this? (laughs) Just making noise.
0: That's offensive. It's not just noise. Yeah.
1: This music is basically supposed to detach a person from reality. That's the goal of it.
0: See, my problem with why I haven't actually done any sort of drugs is because I really like reality. Sometimes I don't, but like, come on. who? I like, <laughs> like being able to be anchored. Yeah. Just, Just me. That's fair. I'm a little baby. I'm scared. <laughs>
1: Psychedelic rock is broad and can refer to many different bands slash styles, but it has some common features that set it apart from other types of rock music. Guitars, which were pretty much always electric, with some type of effects and distortion on them, and then really elaborate studio effects on the recordings, non-Western instruments, particularly Indian instruments like sitars. Sitars. I don't know how to say it. Those things are so cool. They are cool. I just am always bad at pronouncing it. Strong keyboard presence, especially electronic keyboards. Really disjunctive song structure and surreal and whimsical lyrics that are often related and allude to drug culture. That's a lot of the a lot of the background. I think you get it? You picking up on it?
0: Sitar's stuff. Um, yeah.
1: I mean, I'm sure you've heard a lot of this music, so I'm. Well, you probably have a good idea. I don't
0: think I've heard a lot of it. I think you've
1: probably heard more, or at least the influence of a lot of it.
0: Oh, absolutely the influence yeah, of it. Yeah, because
1: like Fleetwood Mac was probably very influenced by a lot of psychedelic rock stuff. Okay. Anyway, the genre also owes a great deal of debt to Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan basically carried the folk revival that spread across college campuses in the mid to late 60s. Through honest lyrics that weren't afraid to react and comment on, social, on societal changes.
0: See, that's, that's my shit right there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he spoke to the younger audiences in a new way. A lot of the psychedelic rock bands tried to copy that style of lyricism. It's just like in that, in that time period, there was a lot of social unrest, a lot of anger, a lot of changes, a lot of revolutions happening, and Bob Dylan wasn't afraid to tackle that in his music. And that caused him to be very popular. And that was the Folk Revival.
0: I feel like we just had a whole episode in those two sentences.
1: Basically. yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about the Folk Revival. So, sure, let that
0: be our we episode. We just did. Yes. We just did. <laughs> I really need to keep a constant. Uh,
1: yes, please. I need Look to at your lines.
0: Yeah, and, and my <laughs> lines are always like that. I need to keep a constant volume.
1: Mm-hmm. I would appreciate it. <sighs> So there's no consensus on what the first psychedelic rock record actually is. There's a few different contenders, but it's basically impossible to nail down for sure. Because this is kind of an impossible genre to like nail down exactly what it is. Different artists were experimenting with different elements out of the list that we just talked about. But no one really put it all together into like one song or one recording.
0: What recording was it?
1: We're getting there. The first psychedelic rockers were the British Invasion bands and the folk bands who were trying to broaden their sound. See,
0: British Invasion, broadening their sound. I'm right on the money.
1: See, I would, I don't know if we talk about this later, but I think the Beatles were just kind of responding to psychedelic rock that was happening. I don't think they created it. That's fair. Some people would argue against that, but I think they just saw that music happening and they were like, that's cool, and they started to do that too. I'm sure
0: they also disseminated it.
1: Yeah, I mean, they were largely responsible for it getting popular, but yeah. I don't think they created it. It's Kind of like Elvis. He's the one who got the golden age of rock started, but he didn't create it.
0: Nor any of his songs.
1: No, but a lot of them didn't. So the kind of music... This kind of music developed out of a disenchanted young adult desire to escape from life.
0: I don't know that.
1: (laughs) It was a protest against the sexual taboos, racism, violence, hypocrisy, and materialism of adult life. It was counterculture in every sense of the word. I want to riot. You're already going back in your volume thing?
0: I want to riot.
1: Sounds so intimidating.
0: Er. <laughs> I do really like this stuff. Riots? Sometimes.
1: <laughs> Many of the most prominent psychedelic rock bands formed in 1965, which is when the first hippie movement really got started. Acid became pretty prominent along the West Coast at music clubs. The Beatles were kind of seen as the forerunners of this kind of music, they were known as the acid apostles of the new age. but other people say that a band called the birds which was a folk band from los angeles and a group called the Yardbirds, which was a rock band from england were more influential in developing the sound than the beatles in the summer of 1965 inspired by the beatles movie a hard day's night the birds adopted electric guitars and put out a cover of mr tambourine man which became a runaway hit here is mr tambourine
0: (laughs) Mr. Tambourine. Heard this song. I don't know. Why was I spot on in my? No, you're very wrong.
1: Considered psychedelic rock, they're like one of the influences of it, but they're basically just a folk.
0: They all look like people walking. not in fact, you're overweight. All
1: right, that's Mr. Tambourine Man by the Birds. I think it's a cover of. Bob Dylan, maybe? I don't know who did that originally. On the other side of the pond, the guitarist in the Yardbirds named Jeff Beck developed what would become the signature psychedelic rock guitar sound. We talk about the Yardbirds in another episode, too. So
0: we very did important. already? No, we will. Oh, okay.
1: Because they, although not a lot of people know the Yardbirds, they had, like, the greatest lineup of guitarists ever. Because hmm. they had Eric Clapton... And then he was replaced by Jeff Beck, who went on to be, like, a superstar. And then he was replaced by the guy who went on to found Led Zeppelin. So, Jimmy Page. So, like, they just had insane guitarists. Okay. Anyway, so Jeff Beck developed what would become the signature psychedelic rock guitar sound. In 1965, the Yardbirds released a song called Heartful of Soul, where the guitar riff sounded like a sitar. Here is Heartful of Soul. It so okay. appeals to the mass audience. Like they can't cut they wood in a club, where they're drinking and cussing and all that. I mean, like they gotta you know, be family friendly.
0: This is so weird. All
1: right. Oh well
0: look, there's a weird, creepy <laughs> smile.
1: The Yardbirds, heart full of soul,
0: but not a faceful.
1: But probably the biggest psychedelic rock band of this era and all time is the Grateful Dead. We'll talk more about them next week, but they really got started in 1965, which is kind of the year that a lot of these bands really started getting started. During their shows, they'd play with pulsing images behind them, which became a staple of the genre. Around this time, the Beach Boys' primary songwriter and composer, Brian Wilson, started to experiment with writing music on LSD. Like the Beatles, the extraordinary success of the Beach Boys allowed them a little bit more creative freedom in the stuff that they made. Like, it's the Beatles. Labels are going to put it out no matter what the song is, so they can kind of get away with doing more weird stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like Stephen King. They're going to put it out no matter how weird it is because it's going to sell. They were also able to get access to all kinds of -of state-of-the-art equipment and fantastic session musicians. Meaning the Beatles and the Beach Boys were probably the two most influential bands in spreading the psychedelic sound from the West Coast through the rest of the country and the rest of the world. So even though they didn't start it, they really kind of developed it.
0: That's what I said.
1: (laughs) Here's the Beach Boys song, Sloop John B, which is an old folk song, but Brian Wilson changed the lyrics a bit to very subtly reference psychedelic culture.
0: We got some acting in this one. Got into
1: a fight. That's Brian. He just grabbed that. Well, I feel so That's his brother, Carl. I wanna go home. That's Al. Michael.
0: So my This is a great music video. See, I'm very invested.
1: Pretty sure they filmed this at his house.
0: It looks like it.
1: All right, that's Sloop John B.
0: That was awesome. I want to watch that whole entire thing. Okay, go for it. I'm gonna link it. Okay. I'm gonna put it on. I'm gonna put it out there. Okay. On the socials. Okay. On the social. On
1: the social. We only have one. <laughs> I think we have auto posts to our Facebook, but I don't. I don't pay attention to it. In San Francisco, a little band was formed by Mart Ballin called Jefferson Airplane. Have you ever heard of Jefferson Airplane?
0: New band name, I call it.
1: They They just
0: happened. New band name, I call it. <laughs> it's already a band. New band name, called Dit.
1: <laughs> okay, we have some of their albums, actually, from my yeah. dad. Yeah. They played in a few different clubs and colleges around the Bay Area when they were seen by a prominent music critic who called them the best band ever.
0: That's a good that's good. Yeah, that's,
1: that's a good good column. All of a sudden, their manager was fielding calls from record labels, despite them never playing outside of San Francisco and not having any recorded music out. They signed to RCA Victor with a massive advance, which is pretty good. It was a little band who just played a few local gigs. They <laughs> must have been good.
0: fantastic.
1: They were the first internationally known psychedelic rock group, and they headlined the three most prominent festivals of this time, the Monterey Pop Festival, Altamont, and Woodstock. In 1967, they released an album called Surrealistic Pillow, which became arguably the most influential album of this kind of like Summer of Love era. It peaked at number three on the Billboard album charts, which shows how mainstream that psychedelic rock had started to become. However, the more popular songs from the album actually came from a band called The Great Society.
0: Were they stealing it? No, not
1: not really. Before the release of this album, the singer Grace Slick left the Great Society to join Jefferson Airplane. She took songs with her, and two of them became the top singles from this album. So it might have been songs she had written for the Great Society, and then when she left, she just took them them with her.
0: But they were mad.
1: Yeah, probably. Here is one song from that album that is listed in the Rolling Stones' 100 Greatest Songs of All Time. I don't know what number, but it's in there somewhere. It's called Somebody to Love, and it's one of the ones that Grace Slick brought with her. So you can see if the Great Society missed out.
0: Anybody find me That's what's about to happen, right? When the truth is found to be
1: In a lot of like commercials
0: Somebody
1: and movies and stuff. Alright, that's Somebody to Love by Jefferson Airplane.
0: It just looks it. It's yeah. cool. Uh, Whoop. By
1: 1972. I just feel like
0: I'm missing out on something.
1: I don't think you are. I think I've, you're fine. I think I am. I think you're fine.
0: I think I am. <laughs> I'm missing the joke. It's not a joke. I'm missing it.
1: By 1972, Jefferson Airplane broke up and they split into two different bands Hot Tuna and Jefferson Starship. Hot
0: Tuna, new band name I call it. <laughs> you can't call
1: other people's band names. <laughs> That's not how it works. I feel like Jefferson Starship. Manifest Destiny. Jefferson Starship got the better end of that because they all have all of the marketing of Jefferson Airplane. Like yeah. It's Whatever. just like
0: the new and improved. Yeah. Now we're intergalactic. <laughs> yeah.
1: We bought we sold our airplane and we bought a starship. Although, I already forgot
0: what the other one is. Hot Tuna. Yeah. That's like
1: That's your band name.
0: That's it is. You called it. And it's um named after John Krasinski. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Although San Francisco gets most of the credit for launching Psychedelic Rock, other cities across the U.S. also had their fair share of important bands. I mean, mostly along the West Coast, but still. In Los Angeles in 1965, Jim Morrison and Ray Manzarek met on Venice Beach. They recognized each other from UCLA. What? Nothing. Okay, you just looked at me as if you wanted to say
0: something. No, my jaw just felt weird. Okay. Yeah.
1: Jim started talking about how he recently began writing songs. He let letter- as writers do. Yeah,
0: yeah, man. I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm just playing around, I'm just I'm writing yeah. some stuff. It's actually pretty groundbreaking. I'm gonna be be pretty big, you know. But I don't know. That's not that much. What are you up to? You doing anything fun? No. Oh man. Well, you know. It's cool. I just I just couldn't sit behind a desk, you know? I just had to do something something different.
1: He definitely did something different.
0: <laughs> that's that's the conversation.
1: Yeah. So Jim Morrison.
0: Live reenactment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Later, Jim Morrison talked about those early songs that he wrote, and he said, quote, Those first five or six songs I wrote were really
0: pretentious.
1: I was just taking notes at a fantastic rock concert that was going on inside my head. And once I'd written the songs, I had to sing them, end quote.
0: So, that <laughs> yeah. <I> was right. <laughs> He's
1: just singing to himself and had to write them.
0: That's generally how writing a song goes, I yeah. would imagine.
1: <laughs> so, with Ray's encouragement after hearing about the songs, uh, Jim started to sing the opening lines of one of the songs, and apparently it just blew Ray away with how good it was. It's
0: literally... <laughs> <this> is- <laughs> <laughs> is this is exactly what I pictured in my head. Yeah, man. I don't know. This is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Wow, man. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. I know. You want to hear the rest of it?
1: <laughs> so Ray was already in a band with his two brothers, and they found a drummer from a band called the Psychedelic Rangers. So with those four and Jim Morrison, they combined a background in music from jazz, blues, rock, and folk. That's pretty fun. Yeah. We just mixed all that together. The group took their name from an... Oh, man. I always mispronounce this guy. Aldous Huxley. always mispronounce his first name. But he was like a super important figure in the world of like psychedelic rock and humanism. But, you know, whatever. Book. It was one of his books called The Doors of Perception. And they recorded a six-song demo under the name The Doors. You heard of the Doors?
0: I've heard of Three Doors Down.
1: Not quite the same. Almost. For a few months, they played a residency at a super run-down L.A. club that filled the band, particularly Jim Morrison, with confidence in their ability to play live. They eventually upgraded to a larger venue and were noticed by Electro Records' president. They signed a record deal and got fired from their new venue when Jim Morrison went on an expletive and profanity-ridden retelling of Oedipus Rex during one of their shows. <laughs> Through 1966 and 67, they only achieved very minor success, but then they released a song called Light My Fire, which became Elektra Records' first number one single, selling over a million copies. When they played the song on the Ed Sullivan Show, they were told to take out the word hire, and they agreed. But then they just... Oh, that's yeah.
0: see, I, I heard higher... Like, will you hire me for this job? Oh, no. You know? Like,
1: drugs hire. Right. So they agreed to take that word out, but then they just didn't. They didn't? No, yeah. they didn't.
0: Yeah. Wow, I'm <laughs> shocked.
1: <laughs> they sing the song as normal and claimed they never meant to go along with the edit. So Ed canceled the next six shows that he had booked with them and said they'd never play the Ed Sullivan show again.
0: Good move, guys. These guys are really great at uh, making career-furthering, <laughs> respectful um holding on to their word type of type of decisions, I guess, you know.
1: Yeah, but to that Jim Morrison replied, hey man, we just did the Ed Sullivan show so I don't think he really cared <laughs> that they weren't going to be back on it. Of
0: course he didn't care! Nope.
1: But here is Light My Fire, I think, on the Ed Sullivan show.
0: The only thing that's going through my head is Light My Candle, actually. Which I think is pretty different. Probably. <laughs> School yeah. melody. Yeah,
1: he's got a pretty good voice. You can.
0: It's fine.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that was also a live Ed Sullivan show, so like on the recording, it sounds much better.
0: Everything sounds better on a recording. Yeah,
1: but you like live shows, so I show you live shows. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've just decided ever since I started making fun of this man that I'm not a big fan, <laughs> and then you keep telling me stuff, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's not going to get much better, probably. Huh? In your I'm mind. I'm kind of right. But like, I can definitely. They're kind of the. I don't, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I would argue they're one of the first like emo bands.
0: They have that vibe. Because
1: I can see that song sounds a lot like the like 80s, like 70s, 80s kind of like the Smiths, the, that sad boy rock kind of stuff that you would hear.
0: Literally, sad boy rock is my favorite yeah. genre. So. <laughs> and
1: then that turned into like grunge and pop punk. So like they're kind of, they did a lot. They're very influential. People love The Doors. So anyway. The Doors continued to have tremendous success and they played all over the world. They became famous largely because of the just like the aura surrounding Jim Morrison, who cemented his infamy even more during a concert in New Haven at the end of 1967. What'd he do? Before the show, Jim was making out with a fan in a bathroom stall.
0: As one does.
1: When a police officer happened to stumble upon them.
0: Yeah, was she underage?
1: It doesn't say, but probably. The officer didn't know that Jim was the singer of the headlining act, so he told them both to get out. To which Jim replied, eat it. Ah, nice. (laughs) The officer then pulled out his mace and said, last chance. To which Jim replied, last chance to eat it. And then Jim got maced. Good. (laughs) So the band was delayed while Jim was recovering. But eventually, they did take the stage very late.
0: That's honestly pretty funny.
1: Apparently, the police still didn't think the incident was over, and they wanted to charge Jim Morrison. In the middle of the set, Jim started to improvise a song on the spot about Little Men in Blue.
0: Honestly!
1: <laughs> it was an obscene song about what happened backstage, and it was taunting the police, who were at this point surrounding the stage.
0: Sweet <laughs> So don't, the police don't, arrested him. Don't, don't do that to the so cops. They're going, they're going to get mad.
1: And so Jim Morrison became the first rocker to ever be arrested on stage during a performance. <sighs> <laughs> the charges were dropped a few weeks later, but the legend never died.
0: Cops can't take a joke.
1: No, especially like with these little obnoxious rocker kids that they don't understand. 1967 to 1969 was kind of like the peak of the doors coinciding with the peak era of psychedelic rock. But after 1969, they started to decline. They tried to stick to their original sound, but also added brass and string instruments for the first time, which led to people saying that they were experimenting with their sound. But they kind of weren't. They were kind of just doing the same thing with more instruments.
0: That changes your sound. Yeah.
1: Critics and audiences didn't like it. Jim Morrison also kept getting into trouble, as you would expect, and delved deeper and deeper into drug and alcohol abuse, also as you would expect. In 1971, Jim Morrison was living with his girlfriend in Paris while his band worked on the music for a new album. He was supposed to join them later and do his part. While in Paris, he lost a lot of weight and shaved his beard. He described going on long walks alone through the city. On July third, 1971, Jim Morrison was found dead in the bathtub. The official account says that he died of a heart failure, but no autopsy was ever performed. Several witnesses say he died of a heroin overdose. Yeah. His death came a couple of years after Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones and within months of both Jimi Hendrix and Janice Joplin dying. Ooh. All of them died at the age of 27. And that kind of put a little bit more sinister spin. On the, like, psychedelic free love kind of thing. Because it's now, like, killing the superstars of it. Yikes. Of course, there have been many conspiracy theories and claims that Jim Morrison actually didn't die. Considering the type of avant-garde performances that Jim loved in his later years, it makes sense that people thought this was some kind of, like, elaborate art piece.
0: There's no way that this dude would ever willingly step away from the spotlight.
1: No, but, like, I think initially people thought he might die.
0: It was like a joke. He
1: might for like six months as kind of like an art piece to see what would happen. And then he was going to reemerge. And then when he did, people were starting butterfly. to be like, Because uh. <laughs> yeah. there's one, I generally believe when celebrities die, they're, they actually died. And all of the ones that are like, they didn't actually die. They just wanted to get out of the spotlight. I think those are all not true. Except for one, a comedian named Andy Kaufman. Because he did that kind of stuff all the time.
0: He just died multiple times? No,
1: he would do, like, these weird stunts, all of the... Like, he would pay women to wrestle him, and then, like... But, like, fake... Like, everything he did was fake, but he made it seem real. So he died pretty young, and I... My theory is that he didn't actually die, and he was faking his own death, and he was going to come back, and that was going to be, like, his next joke, and then he actually died during that period of time.
0: Interesting.
1: Because he also wasn't in the best health, so... But anyway, I digress. After the death of Jim Morrison, the Doors never really got back into the mainstream. They tried to press on, but eventually disbanded in 1973 after failing to reach the top of the charts again. So here is the song from the Doors that I always think of when I hear of them, because it was a Need for Speed Underground when I was a kid. Riders it's called of Riders the on the Storm. Blue. Riders of the Storm.
0: They even driving.
1: Into this house we're born,
0: into this world we're thrown. Like a dog without a bone and a actor
1: out of Riders on the storm, there's a killer on the road. His brain is squirming like a toad Writers yeah, on the story yeah,
0: yeah. So psychedelic rock to me is not very psychedelic, it's more just like drug culture.
1: Yeah. But also Which
0: is a lot that's now. Yeah. As well.
1: But also I'm playing you the hits.
0: You're not playing me so the weird stuff. These are the, the songs.
1: These are the songs that got popular on like the mainstream circuits. Yeah. There was a lot there was a lot of like Grateful Dead songs that were just nine minutes of jam session with like flashing lights behind them like the, there is way more psychedelic stuff i'm just kind of like playing you the hits the psychedelic rock era undoubtedly peaked in 1969 with the woodstock festival that featured most of the biggest acts of this music and music in general people like jimmy hendrix the grateful dead jefferson airplane the who credence clearwater revival and joe cocker Woodstock, despite it being horribly organized and full of terrible things, was seen as a roaring success. It was seen as the shining light of the hippie movement, and it tried to be replicated. But after Woodstock, psychedelic music started to decline. We have a whole episode on Woodstock, by the way. So we're going to be talking Great. about that more. I figured you didn't know about it, and that's I probably really, something that you would enjoy learning about.
0: I honestly do not know very much about yeah. it.
1: I was debating, and I was like, she'd probably enjoy learning about Woodstock. So I just made a whole I'm really
0: excited. I. Thank you.
1: By the end of the 1960s, a lot of the bands that pioneered the psychedelic rock genre started to give it up. Like members of Jefferson Airplane, they started to get disillusioned with the whole summer of love and hippie movements. The increasingly hostile political environment, as well as a turn towards harder drugs like heroin and amphetamines, led to a harsher kind of music, kind of more along, along like punk and metal.
0: I do like that, too.
1: Well, we, we talk about metal next, so...
0: Oh, Okay. Cool.
1: By 1967, LSD was outlawed across the U.S. and England.
0: That makes it sound like a cowboy.
1: (laughs) Yes, cowboys on LSD. That'd be. I'm sure it happened. Yeah, probably. In 1969,
0: outlawed. Yeah. That's not a word you you say when you make stuff illegal.
1: Yes, it is.
0: Is it really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ban.
1: I mean illegal. Yeah, those are synonyms of outlawed.
0: Yeah, but no one says outlawed since the wild, wild west.
1: <laughs> I I mean I guess I do. I don't Raise know. your
0: hand if you say outlawed in normal life. Put your hand down. I've never heard you say outlawed <laughs> it <just> before. Did. <laughs> never <laughs> I, heard those words leave your mouth. I wrote
1: this. You think I'm paying someone to write our scripts?
0: No, no one would do that. <laughs> Excuse
1: you, I would. <laughs>
0: I know, that's why you're doing it. (laughs) For free.
1: Okay, so by 1967, LSD was banned across the U.S. and England.
0: Yeah. In 1969,
1: two murders were traced back to Charles Manson's cult. Oh! Which was fueled by LSD and touted a philosophy apparently based on several Beatles songs, like Helter Skelter. Did you not know about the Charles Manson
0: stuff? Not really.
1: Oh, well, he led a cult. That was all about this. It was in like some of his...
0: Murdering people?
1: Well, it was all about like using LSD and... Well, I don't know. It's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it. But Helter Skelter was basically like a coming war between the the hippie generation and the other people. And like he really believed in this like chaos of Helter Skelter. So he tried to ignite it by sending his people out to murder people. It's a whole big thing. <laughs> he was like friends. that's what
0: that's about
1: charles manson was like friends with the drummer of the beach boys like he was he was pretty plugged into the music industry so it kind of didn't go well for the people involved in this kind of music when that when those murders happened
0: what were we talking about <laughs> before you just casually threw murder into the mix
1: i'm talking about like the decline of psychedelic rock and all of this is stuff that is causing the decline like Mainly the big thing is disillusionment with, because everyone thought like LSD was going to bring on peace. peace and love. And then like all of these things started happening and, and people were like,
0: on murder, Yeah,
1: murder, and then like some of your biggest superstars are dying of it. And then
0: I think that they were dying of heroin.
1: Maybe. I but don't. Still. Can
0: you die of LSD? I don't know. I don't think you can die of LSD. I mean, it
1: almost killed Brian Wilson to Beach Boys. It messed up his mind for like ever. Still messed up. Well, that and a whole lot of mental health stuff.
0: I don't think that you can die from LSD. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. Not in the same way that you can die from heroin. Well,
1: no. Not as easily, for sure. I think you can die from anything. You can die from drinking too much water.
0: This is true.
1: At the end of 1969, the Stones tried to copy Woodstock by hosting a free concert at Altamont.
0: The Stones did? Yes, the Rolling th- Stones. The Stones. Okay, just yes. had to check. I know them. Okay,
1: well, you questioned me. so I, wasn't
0: <laughs> I see them in person.
1: You did. So they tried to host a free concert at Altamont. We talked about this during the Rolling Stones episode. I forgot. We talked about it more in depth there, so go listen to that episode if you're interested. But
0: Did people die?
1: Yes. It ended With the Hells Angels, who were hired as security... Oh, that's
0: right. That's... Oh, my God.
1: ...stabbing a kid to death. So that's how that ended.
0: How did I forget that?
1: (laughs) And all of this created a backlash against the hippie movement from the outside and disillusionment from the inside, which is fair.
0: I'd be pretty disillusioned myself.
1: So after the death of some of the founding members of this... Type of music like Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, and Janis Joplin, who became known as Acid Casualties, those bands okay. started to change their sound. This music kind of split into two different directions. People like Parliament Funkadelic created a funky pseudo psychedelic sound, and then bands like the Rolling Stones kind of reverted back to a more rock roots type of music. Despite not really being around for all that long, like, I mean, it started roughly 1965, ended 1969. So it's not, it wasn't a huge thing. Uh, psychedelic rock was the first major diversion of rock music, and it influenced so much. Next week, we'll talk about the band that has become synonymous. Well, I say next week, next, whenever. We'll talk about the band that has become synonymous with psychedelic rock, The Grateful Dead, which I'm assuming you know nothing about.
0: Janice Joplin died of Heroin.
1: Yeah, but I, th- I just think the implication is that you progress in this drug thing. Okay. Like, I know that's not true, necessarily, but the idea is that I just think it was a very, like, open, take all of the drugs that you possibly can type mindset, and then that obviously can lead to heroin overdose. That Brian Jones might have potentially been even murdered, so he might not have been killed by drugs, but still, like their their lifestyle led to them dying, which wasn't supposed to happen. All right, well that's psychedelic rock. You got any anything to add to that?
0: No, it's kind of heavy. Yep. I like the music.
1: Anything else? I will give a warning that Mika has to work a bunch the next few weeks. So I'm going to try and get a sound of conspiracies. But we might not have an episode with Mika for a bit. So just be ready for that.
0: I know you guys are going to miss me. It's okay. I'm here in spirit. and, And you don't actually... You don't actually, you're not going to miss me because you're going to have a fight.
1: Alright, goodbye everyone.
0: Goodbye!